particularly in the rapid growth of cities in the middle of the kind of chaos of things that that good news, what does good news look like or sound like in that context um, where people are challenged just to get their daily bread. Welcome to a One Life podcast. One Life, as you may or may not know, is a grassroots learning collective made up of equippers serving classes BC, Northwest, and Southeast in the Christian Reformed Church. By providing events and resources centered around the five foundational callings of the church, worship, faith formation, servant leadership, global mission, justice, and mercy. This week on the show, we will be looking at the subject of global mission once again, uh, particularly zooming in to talk to Dr. Selena Headley. Dr. Selena Headley is a missionary that is partnered with Resonate, who my church and many of your churches support. Uh, So it was wonderful to get a good uh, insight into her world, into a bit of what she does, how she came to the Christian Reformed Church, the type of work and ministry she does. They have something called the Praxis Cycle, which I found to be a very fascinating and uh, holistic uh, look at what ministry in urban settings could look like. So I'm really excited uh, for anyone who is involved in urban ministry. This was a really good episode to get some to glean some information, not just about what Dr. Selena is doing, um, but also how we could apply the gospel to our own context. So I hope you enjoy it. Welcome again to our listeners. I am here this week with Dr. Selena Headley, a uh, missionary partnered with Resonate in the Christian Reformed Church. Um, and so welcome, Selena. Thanks so much, Eric. Great to be with you. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm just going to start off by throwing the question to you um, to tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got connected with Resonate, um, and the type of ministry that you're involved in. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I think I've uh, God kind of got a hold of me early in my days, and I kind of got this idea in my head, this vision for uh, doing missions work in Africa. So actually, it was many years ago, and um, at the time, I uh, yeah, just I didn't know how it was going to happen, and um, got very involved in uh, just. Getting first of all, uh, going to university, getting a social work degree because I felt like that would give me a good basis, and um, really pressed into campus ministry. So I did that for a season back in the late eighties, and then um, had and a which, chance. Which campus? Which university was that? I was at UBC, yeah, University of British Columbia. And uh, when I graduated social work, I did international student ministry for a season and um, found out about some missionaries who were in South Africa, made a plan to go in 1992, which may have been a little bit crazy at the time, being a woman of color and not uh, having had that background raised in Canada. Uh, uh, But yeah, I just kind of felt like, yeah, no, I wanted to see it for myself and, and, you know, maybe this was the place and time. So I went for six months at that time, and that was a big time of transition in South Africa before the first democratic election and people were, um, yeah, there was 
some stuff that I just hadn't been exposed to, I think. Um, and yeah, did the ministry work, but then had a lot of questions about this system of injustice that was so prevalent and, you know, how as the church, do we just do evangelism in the face of, of all of that? And um, yeah, came back with a lot of questions, came back with a sense of, Oh Lord, I'm I'm not ready for for this, you know, because it could have been a peaceful transition or a violent one at that point. And um, that Mandela had just gotten out of jail, and I, yeah, I kind of moved into a bit of a sense of burnout. Like Lord, I don't know what just happened there, but I I I know I'm called to missions, but not ready. And um, the grace of God, I had a wise friend who helped me just to think because I thought, well. I'm not, I don't feel equipped. <laughs> and I ended up uh, 94 going to Fuller Seminary and doing a master's in intercultural studies. And that really helped a lot for me to reframe and to kind of get refreshed, retooled, um, to think on uh, a broader scale. And also, I think for me in particular, um, having a sense of calling that included a broader vision of evangelism, of ministry, um, in terms of holistic. So really got in touch with why I went to social work to begin with, because I cared about the whole person and the whole community and what was going on. And so that kind of gave me understanding and permission at that point to explore that. And so I actually spent a few years in Los Angeles um, with, um, did some stuff with World Vision with uh, some churches collaborating not too long after the riots there and um, worked with a professor who, who was doing a very kind of holistic ministry approach to uh, working with the, with the homeless. So have bring all the services under one roof. So I did case management, um, did a season of helping to kind of do triage work for people coming off the streets, getting them into housing, um, rehab, domestic violence shelters, whatever their conditions were. And all the while kind of keeping my eye and my ear on Africa. But I think the Lord in a sense had me in a preparatory stage in those years, as well as the country as they made that transition to democratic South Africa. And, um, you know, I continued on in that work. I ended up also, um, later moving closer to family in Nashville, Tennessee, and had a season doing after-school ministry with an inner-city uh, church-based organization, kind of doing more of the executive director role stuff. But yeah, my heart was being stirred again for Africa in 2006. I think I met a pastor and his wife who invited me to come and see, and uh, I did, and then I felt, yeah, so 12 years after that first visit, um, kind of committed myself to to going and um, found a standing agency and of friends who could could help facilitate raising support and going and it was really about going to start a community development leadership school so that was kind of the first assignment I had when I went to South Africa with the network of churches I was part of and um, kind of fostering that through that I got connected to a local Christian college, uh, Cornerstone Institute, and ended up um, helping them with their community development certificate, both online and um, have, helping them develop an honors and community development 
And um, so, yeah, I kind of went through different phases and stages of my ministry work there. And around, yeah, I guess 2015 or 16, I, I met the Ribbons uh, family in the field kind of doing work uh, they had just come from Nigeria they were with Resonate and we yeah just hit it off the friendship and yeah it just seemed like I kept in the field kind of um, encountering Resonate folks and sort of the turn in my ministry was a more of a focus towards urban ministry really um, because I had participated in a program in 2016 called Leadership and Urban Transformation that really changed my view of how to do theological education and how to, to um, yeah, really prepare people for with spiritual formation for ministry in the city. And um, so that was part of it. It was getting connected with um, Institute for Urban Ministry, which uh, the ribbons helped to kind of foster these biannual consultations and yeah, just getting to know um, a group of people that were also passionate about recognizing that in Africa, you know, urban, the urban space, kind of the growth of the urban space is rapidly increasing. And it's primarily in the informal sector, in what people might call slum or squatter settlements, that's the edge of growth for the cities in Africa. And yet the churches and individuals are not very prepared, like it's kind of a suburban model of theological education that we rely on. And um, and it gets back to that, that issue of the holistic needs of people, like the whole picture, not just the spiritual well-being, but people are facing very real challenges and so um yeah as that sort of our path kept crossing um ended up connecting with um uh, some work with infamite and and ruth padilla divorce who was um helping to foster some discussions around um yeah just again sort of practical curriculum for the african context and yeah, resonate just seemed to be, keep coming up. So I, I yeah, so I'd have this discussion around when I started. So I started a PhD in 2017 based on my experience and what I had done looking at theological education and kind of this praxis-based approach as a case study. And um, yeah, as that process deepened, it just, uh, our conversations with Mike and Megan Ribbons and, um, yeah, it just seemed to make sense that I was kind of more aligned with what Resonate was concerned with, which was just, yeah, working collaboratively and fostering concern and, uh, yeah, really equipping people for urban ministry and challenges um, really across denominations. So um, started a discussion, came back in 2019, met Rich Braxma and had a discussion about what it might look like. Um, then the pandemic hit. <laughs> so I didn't actually come back to North America for three years. Um, what it did do is allow me to finish the PhD, which was because uh, I was kind of on lockdown anyways, <laughs> trying to do that. Uh, but yeah, we just kept the conversation going. And then I, I, I decided to, to make that move when I graduated in 2022 with um, the, there was an opportunity with Resonate and I applied and 
got the job and yeah, I have, have been doing that since. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. well, that's a really uh, excellent story. I love the, the paths that God takes us on um, to get us to where we need to be. And uh, it's wonderful that you found a, a good home here with Resonate. Uh, yeah, I, I, I want to just uh, press into this uh, thing you mentioned a few times in a few different ways um, about the link between social work and theology or and evangelism, social work and evangelism. Or you also mentioned um, theological education as well as a praxis-based approach working with people in urban settings. So yeah. to me, uh, I can kind of vaguely see the connection between these things, but we don't always see those things as connected, right? Sometimes evangelism and urban transformation are totally different things in people's minds. So I wonder how you at Fuller, but now in your PhD, have found a way to connect those things. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think the kind of the, the, the bigger picture of, um, and yeah, I could go in any direction. Like, I think uh, one of the questions we, we thought about talking about was, you know, we, what is uh, a urban training collaborative coordinator? Right. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and so kind of what is that about? And that sort of brings together, um, you know, some of the, some of the ideas. So, you know, the urban is, is, actually understanding, hey, we're in a context, we're in a space that has a, a history, there are systems that work in the city for some and don't work for others, and why is that? And so, you know, taking seriously what is happening in the context and and even the micro <laughs> context throughout the city, because in a context like South Africa, where the kind of apartheid spatial planning actually was sort of ingrained in the fabric of the planning of the city that separated peoples. And that continued, even though the laws changed, that didn't change immediately at all, because then it became an economic thing. Like, And, and so the, the divisions and the different challenges that people face when um, they are continue to be in marginalized spaces, sort of physically in the community. So the the urban, the context is a factor in how we minister and where we minister and what context it's have. So if churches are in the township, they're very separate. I mean, people continue to worship worship separately. They don't interconnect those kinds of things. Then that affects how how is ministry happening? Like, what does our evangelism look like when we are divided? Um, and how does that affect, yeah, just people's lives and their different experiences of being sometimes very resourced and then very unresourced in terms of those contexts. Um, so, you know, they're having a different challenges. Um, and then really training collaboration, it's, it's about um, recognizing that even adult learners have a lot of knowledge, they have a lot of lived experience, and you want to take that into account. So it's not so much about lecturing people and kind of telling them, this is how it is. Um, it's reading the scripture together and understanding their context, their history, being able to draw that in as part of the learning. Um, 
So it is collaborative in that sense. It's also collaborative in the sense of getting people out of silos so that people can begin to understand and listen to one another across different contexts in the city. And um, yeah, in some sense, coordinating that through developing kind of communities of practice, communities of learning, where people can hear one another, learn from one another. Um, and so that's where the integration comes, I think, with uh, bringing in the ex lived experience of people, bringing in the tradition of scripture, bringing in the history of the city and the context, and not shying away from all of those things, because that's where people live. And, um, and in that discovering um, how to share good news, how to be good news in that, in that context. So that's the kind of wider picture of a holistic, if you will, evangelism, evangelistic understanding of what God would do um, with us in, in these contexts. I love that. I love that holistic picture of, uh, yeah, the importance of context and different contexts as we apply the gospel and as we live the gospel, actually, you put even better, embody the gospel. Um, uh, I love that. Um, as you mentioned scripture, what, what are scriptures that uh, especially inspire you in your work? Yeah, I think for me, um, kind of the picture that, um, that Jesus presents, I think, in reading in Luke 4, um, 18 to 19, that inaugural scripture, about the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, uh, has sent me to proclaim uh, that liberty to captives and release and um, from oppression and um, all those things that the year of the Lord's favor has come. And so that for me, I think, gives that picture of the holistic call for us to uh, position ourselves to explore how we can encourage this kind of positive transformation spiritually, socially, uh, materially in the well-being of people, particularly in the rapid growth of cities in the middle of the kind of chaos of things that that good news, what does good news look like or sound like in that context um, where people are challenged just to get their daily bread. Um, so that, yeah, that inspires me. And then, you know, looking back that Jesus pulled that was reading Isaiah and Isaiah 61. And, you know, you can always look back there for, for deeper inspiration to unpack, you know, what is good news? What does it look like? And you get pictures, beautiful pictures, like beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for despair. Uh, planting of oaks of righteousness and and this call to rebuild and repair cities that have been abandoned for generations. Uh, so, yeah, and God's love for justice. Um, and it is God that clothes us with that righteousness so that we are part of his planting and where it springs up everywhere. So it's it's such a beautiful picture, I think, of hope and um, the inbreaking of God in situations that seem chaotic, seem difficult. And the city is a complex place. It's a diverse place. And um, so, yeah, trying to work and discern what the Spirit is doing 
because God is present in that chaos and in those spaces. And how do we join the spirit in that work? So, yeah, that's a point of inspiration for me in terms of a, a scripture that I think helps ground my hope. <laughs> I love that. I love the way you see the Holy Spirit moving in material ways. Uh, the history of Christian interpretation of those passages too often was uh, um, over-spiritualized as if they were spiritual realities that had nothing to do with the material. But that that's not the way the Bible um, talks about the spiritual. The spiritual is material. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so you're involved in huge ways with, with material, spiritual oppression um, and, and, and alleviating that. Um, and some of those ways um, are poverty alleviation, community mm-hmm. building, uh, seeking justice. Uh, mm-hmm. Wilma, who, who wrote some of these questions for us, she says, these are huge endeavors. How do you keep focus, hope, energy? Uh, what keeps you going with these? Yeah, so so part of that is, yeah, seeking how do we sort of ground ourselves in faith practices and postures that are sustaining? Because the truth is this work, it's not sort of fast <laughs> and it's it's not something you can do alone. So you know, the com- the connection, seeing the connection communally that I don't do this alone, that I have partners on the ground and organizations, particularly in Cape Breton town, like the warehouse, which I've been linked with for years, which is a beautiful community of practitioners who are committed to helping churches walk a journey towards justice and a journey towards healing and transformative action in their communities. So, being grounded in community helps a lot um, and is, is really important in terms of um, yeah, keeping that sense of hope and um, because it is huge and everything's huge in terms of you're looking at community transformation and justice and it's long-term work, it's not short-term. So being willing to do the long-term work. So for me, that means how do we really invest with people and walk journeys with people of transformation? And that's come around to things like using methodologies like the Praxis Cycle, which help us to, in a sense, ground ourselves in reflection and action. Mm. So you can't just always be acting. You know, you have to have some time to reflect on the work that you do and and to change that if, if necessary, but but literally fostering processes for these communities of um, practitioners and learners um, and grounding them sort of in movements, <laughs> if you will, that will help them in that reflection uh, process and, and to change actions if necessary. So helping people to develop lenses in a sense to see the past to understand the present and to reimagine the future. Um, if God broke in, what should things look like? You know, being able to get to that place. But first we have to do the deep work sometimes of reflecting on our own context. How did I get here? Why am I doing this? Why am I passionate about a particular? So working with a lot of practitioners doing different things. Some are doing education. Some are doing um, trying to build houses. Some are doing youth ministry, you know, a number of, of different areas, but there's all 
they're all there for a reason. And so remembering again, you know, why, why did God draw me here? What is this about kind of asking the question afresh? What is happening? Um, so encouraging people and helping leaders kind of to think about their immersion again um, in that kind of first moment, then moving them to a time of thinking about social analysis. Why is this happening? Um, what are the, who are the winners and who are the losers in, you know, what's happening with children in the city? Um, what are the struggles that are happening? And maybe the blessings of others who are also working on this issue that there's potential for partnering with or co-constructing together um, and kind of thinking about, you know, if these systems are bigger systems, maybe there's there's something more that that needs to happen than just, you know, that one little piece that we're doing. Like, you know, there may be government structures or different um, laws or regulations that are allowing for the continued abuse of a certain population and how do we also deal with some of the structural things we can't do that if we haven't done the homework kind of analyzing socially what's going on and then um moving into a moment of kind of theological reflection or prophetic imagination about what should be happening so that question if god broke in what would it look like what should it look like you know when we get pictures of people building houses and living in them or planting vineyards and eating from, from them in that prophetic tradition. How do we exercise a prophetic imagination about what God would desire to do in the midst of the city again? So it, it's almost like you can lose hope if you, you know, just keep going and you don't talk, stop to reflect. But again, calling on our tr religious traditions, our faith traditions, the the, the word of God and how do we use that as a resource to motivate us towards a preferred future of, of what God could do. And then from there, we think about co-construction or planning for action, um, taking action again and making a plan based on all this good deep work that you've done. And you're not done this in community. This is all rooted in lived spirituality. So that's when I say fostering these processes for people together. You learn from one another. You learn from these other contexts. And you start to understand the city in a new way. Uh, so the city becomes a conversation partner. The city is a classroom. And so, and then you've got these co-laborers uh, that you're also hearing from and learning from. And then presenting that uh, to one another, there's new visions for action and getting that feedback. And in that process, you also kind of foster a community of practice, people that know one another and know their stories deeply and a friendship and relationship, even though they're working on different issues. And I believe that's the kind of stuff that sustains people in the long term. And yeah, trying to encourage people to do that in community because we can't sort of tackle these huge things and sustain energy and hope alone, I don't believe. I believe we're meant to be doing this in community. That's a beautiful, um, well-thought-out system, uh, the praxis cycle. It was nice to hear that kind of get teased out more practically and see all of the ways. Um, but I love how rooted it all is in relationship. 
you mentioned all of these different moving pieces as sort of conversation partners. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we started um, talking about scripture and then moving into the city. And anyway, it's just, it's just, it's a beautiful picture of um, de dignifying communication across um, all of these complex realities. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I, I wonder if, if you'd like to share with us some of the joys the, some of the things you really enjoy about this type of work, um, things that really make you come alive. Mm. Well, I, I think just being able to facilitate these kinds of processes is, yeah, just an incredible joy and a privilege because um, to help learn from, it's almost like create the space for people to kind of reframe their world or their their uh, work so that um, new things are possible. Um, so yeah, just journeying with it, leaders. So myself being able to develop relationship with local leaders and encouraging them um, and kind of walking alongside them as they expand their kind of capacity to exercise fresh imagination and maybe take on new challenging actions in strategic ways in community. Um, so that joy of, yeah, kind of walking with people and seeing them embrace their story and the story of the community and the story of the city and kind of make the links with how God is at work in the community and the world. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty exciting and pretty cool to be able to do that. So it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, yeah, I would. I, I'm glad. I'm glad there are things. It sounds like such um difficult and I imagine very heavy work at times yeah. and so I'm glad there are those joys to to root you and and keep you um excited about uh the god is real and tra real transformation can happen mm. uh, which is which is wonderful uh so you're in Calgary right now um you're you're finishing up a number of things but you you were telling me before we started recording you leave on Saturday already yes Kenya. and yeah. so um, yeah. So tell me about what it's been like to be back in Calgary and uh, what are the things you're going to miss as you head uh, back, back into the mission field? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, what I miss, I guess it's, it's again, it's people for me on the other side, it's about people and here it's about people mm -hmm. as well um, about family, uh, obviously. And, and yeah, not miss my mom <laughs> mm -hmm. being close to her. Um, but um yeah, because that's, you know, it's just kind of one of those things when you move across the world, it's just not so easy to to be present for a family as as um as you'd like, perhaps. But um yeah. But you know, the the good thing is that God does you know faithfully give us friends and family in the context that we, you know, land in as well. So I appreciate that. Um yeah, and it's with Resonate, I mean, with our region, part of what I'm going to be doing in Kenya is joining the Nairobi Love Your City consultation um, happening next week. And really this theme um, of urbanization is something we've been wrestling with as a region, um, the Southern and Eastern Africa region. And so I have... Um, co-workers there who have been a part of processes in the city of Nairobi with uh, other organizations. And this gathering is about humanizing urban spaces. 
And so we are looking at uh, the informal settlements and, you know, walking with the urban poor in a sense uh, to join them in their understanding, their knowledge and, and to build networks um, and that kind of thing. So also have been part of a longer conversation with a group of kind of with my supervisor for my PhD uh, was has very involved in urban ministry and has been for years and started this conversation again about four years ago, five years ago, uh, Urban Africa 2050, looking at, you know, this growth across the continent of cities and how our theological educators and theological education spaces preparing people for this urban growth. And um, so really looking at that intentionally and how we can think about sort of injecting a focus on the urban into theological uh, curriculum and, and spaces. So that's what we've been getting together for the last few years. Every other year, we've done some articles and, and things to try to get this conversation going more in Africa so that um, people are, yeah, better prepared for this expansion. The churches are are having it on the radar and thinking about it um, very intentionally. So, yeah, and then I head back to South Africa at the end of August and, yeah, get stuck back in with kind of uh, working with the communities there that I'm, I'm connected to. Well, wonderful. Well, I um, I will be praying for you. Uh, our okay. church, my church, Cornerstone Christian World Church, we uh, partner with you in ministry. So it's exciting to get an update on what you're doing. I'll be passing this podcast on to uh, our church for them to 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 hear more and to be be uh, better equipped to pray for you. you. Um, and uh, um, yeah, and I would I I just encourage all of our listeners too to continue to pray praying for you in your ministry. It's an incredibly good work. And uh, we're very grateful um, to have this opportunity to partner with you in that way. Um, if people want to get to know you, get uh, more informed about your ministry, where do they go? Um, uh, ideally, I would love to add them to my prayer letter list. Um, and my email address uh, is sheadley at crcna.org. And I uh, would be happy to hear from folks and send them an update. You'll be getting one in the mail here. I'll be getting that off before I <laughs> get on the plane here in the next day or two. So, uh, just, and yeah, I'm very grateful for churches that are willing to partner. Um, you know, I didn't grow up in the CRC. Uh, so it's, you know, it kind of come as a bit of a new, new entity into the space. And um, I'm very appreciative for churches like Cornerstone and and even the classes, the warm reception that I got when I was visiting um, in BC. And uh, I, I'm excited about the way that churches there are seeking to work together through this podcast and through the work you're doing. So that's an encouragement for me. And um, yeah, to, uh, an opportunity for me to get to know churches and churches to get to know me. So I, I deeply appreciate the warm welcome that I received uh, from your church and others there. Oh, great. Well, we're very appreciative and lucky to have you. So, th so thank you for, uh, yeah, letting us be part of that. Um, 
Yeah. So, th- well, just, I guess, last thing I'll say is just thank you so much for being on the show, for sharing a bit about your story, about your work. Um, and uh, like I said already, we will be committed to prayer for you and uh, God bless you. Thank you so much, Eric. Really appreciate you and the work that you're doing and Wilma and the team. So thank you. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. On the show today, you heard Dr. Selena Henley, a missionary with Resonate Global Mission. It was a wonderful conversation, and I hope it blessed you as it blessed me. For all your other One Life needs, including events, links, and information, you can find them at crconelife.ca. And if you have any feedback at all, or want to get in touch, or if you know someone who would be a great guest for a future One Life podcast episode, please email me at podcast at crconelife.ca. Thanks for listening.